0: Please turn to uh, with me to John 11, 1 through 54. This can be found in the Pew Bible, page 897, or the following Jesus Bible, page 1154. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment He stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then, after this, he said to the disciples, Let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and are you going there again? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble, because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night... so that you may believe, but let us go to him. So Thomas, called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, Let us also go, that we may die with him. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So the Jews said, See how he loved him. But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, Unbind him and let him go. Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what he did, believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. He did not say this on his own accord, but being the high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation, and not for the nation only, but also to gather into one the children of God who were scattered abroad. So from that day on they made plans to put him to death. Jesus, therefore, no longer walked openly among the Jews, but went from there to the region near the wilderness, to a town called Ephraim, and there he stayed with the disciples. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So if you have
1: little ones, I'm not releasing you yet, Liam in London. Liam and London are ready to go. Uh, if you have little ones, we do have children's worship. You don't have to send your kids to children's worship, but you're welcome to. Um, if you're wondering, I know we have a number of visitors today. In children's worship, we have a child-appropriate sermon on this same text. So they've heard the word read. Now they're going to hear it Preached. And uh, they're going to sing together. So if you would like to have your kids go over there, you can release them now. And if you're visiting with us, one of the parents will want to go across and get them signed up with our uh, volunteers. All right, kids. See you all later. If you all hear my sandals squeaking up here, I'm really sorry. Uh, I got bit by a fire ant on the top of my foot yesterday, and I thought, I just don't want to put a sock on this morning. So I didn't. So I'll just squeak, squeak, squeak. Sorry about that. Well, in the early 2000s, HBO produced a show called Six Feet Under. Um, it was, a, it was a, uh, about a family that ran a local funeral home. Megan and I didn't watch too many episodes of the show, but in like two or three that we did watch, there was a scene that gripped me. And I have thought about it over and over and over again. The scene was a graveside funeral service. And as they closed the casket and were getting ready to bury it, a grieving family member clung to the coffin as it was closing, and she was screaming like a crazy person. But what was interesting and strange and sad about the scene, is she was the only person that seemed to be acting in a sane fashion. Everyone else had their suits and ties on. They were holding their umbrellas because it's always raining at funerals on shows and TVs, right? They're all polished. They've got it all together. And she is the only one that seems to understand the gravity of what's happening here. Her reactions seem more honest and more real than the cold formality that she was surrounded by. Death is a horrible thing. Humans were not designed to die. Contrary to common thought, death is not just a part of the process, a necessary counterbalance to life. God did not make the world this way. And so, when we Christians think about death, I think there should be a certain level of rage in our hearts that death exists at all. In John eleven thirty five, 35, it says that Jesus wept. After Lazarus died. And the crowd around says, see how he loved him. But I don't think Lazarus, uh, Jesus was crying for Lazarus. Anytime the crowd is talking in the Gospels, we should be assuming they don't know what they're talking about. The crowd is always wrong. So if Jesus isn't crying out of grief because Lazarus has died, why is Jesus crying? Look at verse 33 in our text. When Jesus saw her, that is Mary, weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. Now, this is before Jesus weeps. He sees her crying, he sees the crowd crying. And he's deeply moved in his spirit. Well, that kind of makes sense. Oh, he's sad about what's happening. The problem with that is that the Greek word here for being deeply moved, the only other time it's ever used in the New Testament, it doesn't mean being sad. And when you go outside the New Testament and you look at ancient Greek literature, it doesn't mean sad. It actually means filled with deep inner turmoil. It's something said of commanders when they're going to battle, battle horses when their noses flare as they're about to charge into combat. So this is a different emotion in Jesus's guts. This is anger. This is rage. He sees them weep and it makes him angry. The same word gets used in verse 38 too. So let's continue. Let's start of verse 33 and we'll go down to verse 38 and kind of look at this emotional moment. Verse 33, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, here it is, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. So Jesus' deep inner turmoil in this text, I read it as less grief and more righteous anger. Jesus is angry that death has a part in the human human story. He's angry that death has intruded into Lazarus' story. Jesus didn't make us for death. Back in John 1, we saw that, that the Son, the Word, Jesus participated with the Father in our creation, and he didn't make us for this. In fact, Jesus came to earth to defeat and undo death's power over humanity. So Jesus sees Mary and he sees these people falling over themselves in grief and it makes him mad. It should not be like this. He comes to the grave of his friend and he is angry. Jesus in this text is coming face to face with one of humanity's chief enemies and it lights a fire in his guts. Jesus hates death and he hates what it does to us. Not just the one who dies, But he hates what it does to all those who are left behind. He came to give us hope beyond death. And so he gets rightfully agitated to see people mourning without that hope. Mary and those mourning with her didn't have any sense of hope about what had happened to Lazarus. And it upset Jesus. And that's what we see in this lengthy text today. We see different people responding to death in different ways. How have you responded to death in the past? Maybe you haven't seen death up close and personal yet. You haven't lost anybody close to you, and so death feels very far away. Some of us have stood in the room together as loved ones breathed their last. Some of you have had very scary brushes with death in recent weeks and months and years. So each of our interactions with death have been different. But how have you responded to it in the past? In this text, we learn a very important lesson that the way Christians respond to death should flow directly from two things what Jesus taught. And what Jesus did. The way we respond to death should flow directly from Jesus' teachings and from Jesus' resurrection power. Again, in this sanitized age, death may feel very far from you. But let's think through how Jesus' teaching and Jesus' resurrecting power, how that should impact the way we respond to death. Let's start with his teaching. What did he teach about death? First, while Jesus agreed with traditional Jewish views of death and resurrection... He also related some new, unexpected teachings. He came out with some new stuff that people had not heard before. So Jesus had a very close relationship with Lazarus and with his sisters, Mary and Martha, and all three of them lived in Bethany. And after Lazarus died and had been dead for four days, Jesus and all his disciples were soon to arrive in town When Martha heard that, she came out to meet him. And in the dialogue between Martha and Jesus in the story, you can hear her expressing the orthodox first century Jewish understanding of death and resurrection. So when we hear Martha, we're hearing the sorts of things a lot of people in her community would believe. And it's what the Old Testament teaches. So look at verses 20 through 24. Get a glimpse into the way Martha thought. Verse 20 So what Martha says here is kind of the the position of conservative Jews in the first century, including the Pharisees. The Pharisees believed this. They believed that when faithful followers of Yahweh died, what happened to them? They went to the grave, and they waited there until the end of time. Unconscious was kind of the best guess that they had. And then at the end of time, those who were faithful to the Lord would be raised from the dead at the conclusion of human history. Why did they think that? Well, quite frankly, the Old Testament doesn't talk about heaven. It talks about death. It talks about death a lot. And it talks about the resurrection at the end of days. But heaven or any kind of conscious existence after death and before resurrection, it's just not talked about in the Old Testament. And that seems to be what Martha is saying here. That When, when Jesus says, your brother will be raised from the dead, she says, I know. I know he'll be raised from the dead. He'll be raised from the dead at the last day. But Jesus has made statements like this too. Back in John chapter 5, he said, An hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear the Son of Man's voice and come out those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. So Jesus believed in a resurrection at the end as well, and he tied himself into that. That's a new teaching which we'll get to in a second. But what Martha is saying is the same thing Jesus believed, that there's a resurrection at the end of time, and it's the same thing that the Old Testament taught. Of course, Jesus, Lazarus will be raised in the, in, from the dead in the last day. What's funny is that's the thing that I have to argue with 21st century pe- Christians and say, no, this is in the Bible. <laughs> the Bible says this through the whole book. Because in our heads, we think, oh, you die, you go to heaven, and you're in heaven forever. No, no, no. Heaven's an intermediate state. Jesus is coming back. And then we'll be raised from the dead to live together. That's Old Testament stuff, right? However, this is not what Jesus was talking about when he told Martha, your brother will rise again. So let's go back to our our text, verse 24. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. (laughs) Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? So Jesus doesn't disagree with Martha about eventual resurrection. He doesn't say, no, 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 that's not going to happen. But instead, he makes two new statements. He gives two new ideas that would be very strange and very novel for a first century Jew like herself. First, Jesus taught that those who believed in him would never die, that their life would continue on even after physical bodily death. Now, for 21st century Christians, that doesn't sound a lot of surprising. Of course, whoever believes in Jesus, we go to heaven when we die. That's elementary Christianity. But don't miss the crazy gravity of what jesus says do you see the words he says look again at verse 25 a lot of verses i gotta find it jesus said to her i am the resurrection and the life whoever believes in me though he die yet shall he live and everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die so jesus is not just talking about heaven He's saying that if you believe in him, you can't die. That even when your body dies, you don't die. You'll continue to live. So even when you die, you'll still be alive. But then verse 26 complicates the issue even more. Everyone who believes lives and believes in me shall what? Never die. What does that mean? Everyone who lives and believes in me. I think we all know what it means to believe in Jesus. What does it mean to live and believe in Jesus? Well, We see this kind of language of living in Jesus, finding our life in Jesus. We see this throughout the New Testament, especially in Paul. Paul says in Galatians chapter 2, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh... I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Colossians chapter 3, he says, You have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. What's Jesus saying? What is Paul saying? What is this living in Christ, living and believing in Christ? This is what I think they're getting at. Those who believe in Jesus in this life, are already participants in and partakers of eternal life through Christ, and that's something that can't be taken from them. So, I ask a very simple question: Is every living human being alive? Yes, it's not a trick question. I, I said living. Is every living human being alive? Yes, you're born, you have life But when you die, you die What he's getting at here is when you believe in Jesus You receive new life then That a Christian receives some new Higher, eternal life that does not end You receive something that you did not have That is over and above and better than the life That you already had So when the old life ends. It doesn't matter because you have new eternal life already. What Jesus is saying is your life is not tied to your body. It's not tied to physical death. If you believe in Jesus, you are alive in Jesus and it's tied to him, right? So that the life you're living in this flesh is kind of a foreign life. It's really your life is hidden in Christ. You have eternal life Already, And this is how Hosea and Paul can both say that death has lost its sting for the believer. Death can't do anything negative to you. Because you already died on the cross. Really and truly we died in the garden. So the question then is what is death for someone that already has eternal life? What is it? For a Christian... Death is a relief. For a Christian, death is being set free of our sinful flesh. It's being released from our broken world. For a Christian, death is actually a step forward. It is a step toward the day when Jesus will make all things right. And we can say this because Jesus defeated death and because we trust Jesus. But I'm going to dwell here a bit longer. Just to make sure you're hearing what I'm saying. Larry Jones was the pastor who baptized me. Of all the pastors I had, he was probably the best. A few years ago, he died after a lengthy battle with cancer, and it was really, really rough at the end. His wife, Carol, posted on Facebook the other day a reflection that he wrote three days before he died. I don't know if she'd never shared it before, but she shared it, and it, it flabbergasted me, what he wrote. This is what he said three, three days before he died. He said, when we first glimpsed the light of the eternal day, the disease which was our intractable enemy and finally slew us, here will become our great friend, the friend who hurried us to this place, this wonderful, unspeakably beautiful place. When I read that a few weeks ago, it hit me like a freight train. I mean, it's, it's so wildly counterintuitive. It's almost unthinkable. But then it so perfectly embodies what Jesus is saying here. If you believe in Jesus, you don't die when you die. That's so true that my pastor, as his cancer is killing him, he can say that that cancer, his intractable foe, would soon be his great friend. So this is the first new teaching that Jesus gives. Something that is still startling to consider today. If you believe in him, you never die. But here's the second thing that he teaches. Jesus taught that eternal life and resurrection are available only through him. Look again at verse 25. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me Though he die, yet shall he live. Again, we're part of the EPC, Evangelical Presbyterian Church. Of course, you have to believe in Jesus to go to heaven. This doesn't surprise us, but this would be very shocking to a first-century Jew. Many of them kind of had this religious, nationalistic view that every Jewish person would be raised from the dead at the end of the ages. And Jesus says, no, it's only those who believe in me. Well, Martha hears this. And she doesn't say, Jesus, you've lost your mind. She hears him. She understands him. She believes him. Look again, verse 26. He, ends, he says, do you believe this? And she says to him, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. So Martha hears this new teaching of Jesus. The exclusivity, the resurrection comes only through him, that eternal life comes only through him, that he is the one who will not only take people to the Father, but also bring them back from the dead at the end of the ages, and that we have to believe. And she says, yes, I believe that you're the Christ. You're the Son of God. You're the one who came from God who can do all these things. Now, here's where this meets us. How do we respond to death? The way that we respond to death should flow directly from these two teachings of Jesus. When our loved ones die, when we're dealing with a life-threatening disease, when we see death and decay in the world around us, our response to death should be different from how our unbelieving neighbors respond. The way that we respond to death should flow directly from these two teachings of Jesus. But it's not only his teachings that should shape our response. His resurrection power should also make us respond differently. What does that mean? Very simple. Jesus is stronger than death. Jesus is stronger than death. And his own eternal resurrection from death proves his teachings about death to be true. I realize John 11 is a very long chapter. Jonathan, thank you for very patiently and steadily reading it for us. We believe the Bible is the word of God, and we like to hear it. But the essential point of this long chapter is this. Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. And what that means is Jesus is stronger than death. So Jesus had a power over death to give life where there was none, and it couldn't be explained away the people saw what happened and they couldn't explain it so look at verse 38 we're going to read kind of the last chunk of the text then jesus deeply moved again came to the tomb it was a cave and a stone lay against it jesus said take away the stone martha the sister of the dead man said to him lord by this time there will be an odor for he's been dead four days jesus said to her did i not tell you that if you believed you would see the glory of god there's a whole other sermon here about how Even our faith, saving though it is, is still riddled with doubt and questions. We see Martha (laughs) moments after believing in Christ struggling. That's okay. Verse 41. So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out. His hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what he did, believed in him. They saw what happened. They believed. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. So the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered the council and said, What are we to do? For this man performs many signs. If we let him go on like this... Everyone will believe in him, and the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. But one of them, Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, said to them, You know nothing at all, nor do you understand that it's better for you that one man should die for the people, not that the whole nation should perish. He didn't say this of his own accord. But being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation. And not for the nation only, but also to gather into one the children of God who were scattered abroad. So from that day on, they made plans to put him to death. So when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, I mean, this is a monumental moment. Nobody could explain it away. There was no alternative explanation for what happened. There were just too many witnesses. The dude walked out of the grave after being in there for four days still wrapped up in his burial cloths. This is a big problem, especially for Jesus' opponents. John chapter 12 reports this. The chief priest made plans to put Lazarus to death as well because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. It's one thing to say. I'm the resurrection and life. Whoever believes in me, though he dies, he'll live. In fact, they'll never die. I could say that. You could say that. Any of us could say that. Saying it doesn't make it true. (laughs) It's something else entirely to then raise a man from the dead after you've said that. But, of course, there was another resurrection that's even more decisive than this. When Jesus came back from the dead, never to die again. That's the rough thing about Lazarus' resurrection. He got to die again a second time. Jesus was raised from the dead to never die again. And Jesus' resurrection, like Lazarus's, really doesn't have any sufficient explanations, except he really came back from the dead. I've heard every argument that exists against the literal, physical, bodily resurrection of Jesus from the dead, and none of them make sense to me at all. The only thing that makes sense to me is he really came back from the dead. Jesus has power over death. And when he died under the weight of my sin and yours, even the power of our cumulative deaths could not hold him. He was victorious over death. And that power over death, that resurrecting power, that has a blowback effect on what he taught. Jesus's power over death is the strongest reason to believe that his teachings were correct. He can be trusted because he has power over death as a Messiah and the Son of God. The people see what he did and thought, shoot, he must be telling the truth. (laughs) I believe this too. He claimed to be the resurrection and the life. Okay, show me. Show me life from death. Show me that you're stronger than death. And he did. In Lazarus' resurrection and even more powerfully in his own. And that is the function of this story in the gospel of John. What's the whole point of this book? John says in the next to last chapter, he's like, there are a lot of other stories I could have included in this book, but these are written so that you would believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God, and that by believing you might have life in his name. And this chapter is kind of one of these pinnacle moments in the book where we are seeing with great clarity who Jesus is and the power that he has. Listen to the theme over and over and over in this chapter. Back to verses 1 through 4. Listen to what John tells us. Now, a certain man was ill. Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha, It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, saying, "'Lord, he whom you love is ill.' But when Jesus heard it, he said, "'This illness does not lead to death. "'It is for the glory of God.'" so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now look at verses 11 through 15. After saying these things, he explained to the disciples what was going on. He said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he'll recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought he meant taking rest in sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died, and for your sake I'm glad that I was not there. Why? So that you may believe. Verse 25, back to the conversation with Martha. Jesus said to her, "'I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die.'" And what does he ask? "'Do you believe this?' Verse 39, Jesus said, "'Take away the stone.'" Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, "'Lord, by this day there will be an odor, for he's been dead four days.'" Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, This is a hilarious prayer, actually. Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around me, that they may believe that you sent me. The whole point of bringing Lazarus back from the dead was to show the power and glory of God in Jesus. So people would look at Jesus and say, Hey, what he's saying is the truth. His resurrection power validated his teaching so that you and I, the readers of John, are forced to reckon with this and we're forced to reckon with death differently. And that, again, brings us to our big idea. The way we respond to death should flow directly from Jesus' teaching and Jesus' resurrection power. So I don't know When you will next face death. We have several church members right now who are facing life threatening conditions and diseases. We've got tests and surgeries on the calendar. But every one of us lives in bodies that are subject to weakness, illness, and decay. We have loved ones who are aging. I've lost two grandparents in two years. Leslie Roberts lost her grandfather yesterday, and Debbie lost her husband on Tuesday. This happens. So I don't know when you're going to next look at death in the face, but I commend this text to you to prepare you for that day. So how should Jesus' teachings and how should Jesus' resurrection power prepare you and help you to respond differently? Well, first... I believe death should make us angry because of the injustice and pain it inflicts on people. Death should make us mad. The world wasn't made for it. We weren't made for it. The fact that human death occurs at all is not God's fault. It's our fault. Our sin brought this tragedy upon us. And so we should grieve that. We should hate that. Quite frankly, the notion that people die without knowing the hope of Christ, should tear us up. Jesus saw these people weeping without hope, and it made him upset. Listen, I don't fear death or hell for myself the way in which I once did, right? My, my feelings about death have changed a lot since I've come to know Jesus. I do fear death for the people I love that don't trust Jesus. And when I sit at a funeral and I don't hear the gospel preached, but instead I hear some empty, sentimental nonsense, or I hear somebody trying to comfort the grieving saying, well, death is just a part of life. It makes me want to strangle somebody. Death is a murderer and a thief who never should have been given ground on this earth. I cannot wait until Jesus comes and puts down death for good. That is, I believe, a good, rational, gospel-oriented feeling about death. And it should urge us to tell others the good news. You don't have to die. (laughs) You can be set free of this fear and this despair. But ironically, we should also respond with the hope that for Christians, death is no different from sleep in its effect. Death has lost its sting. Now, we're not Jehovah's Witnesses or Seventh-day Adventists. We do not believe that when you die, you enter an unconscious state, that you're functionally asleep until the resurrection. That's a false teaching and is decisively what Jesus is not saying in this text. But what is he saying? Look at verses 11 through 15. After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he will recover. Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought he meant taking rest and sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died, and for your sake I'm glad that I was not there, so that you may believe, but let us go to him. Jesus' blunt reaction to the disciples, I find really funny. You can almost hear him sigh as he's saying, Guys, he's not really asleep, he's he's dead. But the point that Jesus makes is this for a Christian, for someone who their life is found in Christ, dying ...is no worse than falling asleep. And that's a very radical position. But it became a part of Christian vernacular very quickly. Does anyone know what the word cemetery means? The word cemetery is from the Greek word that means bedroom... ...or resting place. So the Christian... ...for the Christian, death is not something to be feared... ...because even though we die, we're still alive. Death is like closing your eyes in sleep... ...and then opening them in glory... Paul said, to be absent from the body is to be present from the Lord. So for a Christian, when we die, it's one minute here, the next you're in heaven with the Lord. Is that how we think about death? The way we respond to death should flow directly from Jesus' teaching and Jesus' resurrection power, but how easy it is to act, think, and respond otherwise, and we end up grieving like people who have no hope. We grieve and respond as the world does rather than as those who know and trust the one who's stronger than death. In fact, who has defeated our death already. But here's two final ways we should respond differently to death. Third, as Christ followers, we should be excited about the, that, the life that continues on immediately after physical death. And above all, we trust Jesus to handle our death and we encourage others to do the same. I hope you see the countercultural, counterintuitive way of hope that we find in the teaching and power of Jesus. Christians shouldn't fear death. Rather, we look beyond it with wonder about the beauty and glory of what comes next. And why? How could we possibly do that? Because we trust Jesus. He's proven himself capable, he's come face to face with death. He's got no problem with it, he can handle it. He did it with Lazarus, he did it for himself. And he He conquered our death in his resurrection. So what cause could there possibly be for fear? Now, I'm a realist. Many of you don't know, a few weeks ago, I was in Colorado in a building where a big old tornado went right over the building and pulled a bunch of stuff stuff off the top of the, the church there. When that was happening, what did I do? I called my wife. And I told her I loved her. And before I hung up, I even paused for a second and wondered if I should get the kids on the phone to tell them that I loved them too. In case I was about to get smushed by a collapsing megachurch, which would have been ironic on a zillion different levels. But after getting off the phone with her, I started praying. I started praying against the storm. I was praying against the prince of the power of the air. I was praying to be safe. I was praying to be alive. I don't think that's a faithless act. I'm not eager to die. I'm not excited about the idea. I love being here. I love serving my family and serving you guys. But the reality is, I'm going to die one day. And you are too. Maybe in a tornado. Maybe in a car accident. Maybe with a heart attack or a stroke. Death is going to come. Are you ready for that? And how can you possibly get ready for that? Believe what Jesus taught and believe it because he has power over death. He resurrected Lazarus and he himself has come back from the dead and is still alive. Trust Jesus, and your death will be no death at all. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, what comfort we have to know that you are stronger than our death. That on our day of dying, you will not prove to be weak because you've already defeated our death. And so, Father, I pray that you would fill us with faith in what you taught and in what you did so that we would go out of these doors, the strangest people in town, with a hope that seems against all hope and that we would go telling others the good news that they, too, can be set free from all of their fear. Oh, God, teach us to trust. As we pray in the name of Jesus, amen.